We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. And today we've got a jam-packed episode for you guys. We're going to go through some roster moves, talk about the joint practices the Titans just did last week with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and really get into what we learned from preseason week number two. And then we'll talk very briefly at the end about upcoming next week with joint practices with the Cardinals. So before we get into it, let me ask you, Justin, because I haven't introduced you or let you talk yet. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. Uh, I feel like I say this every week, but I'm going to say it anyway. We had a lot to talk about today, a lot to cover. Um, There are things that happened like four, five, six days ago that feel like a month ago that we didn't get to cover because they happened a day or two after our, our last episode. But I guess that's the policy here on Music City Audible. We love football, so we're always going to have a lot to talk about. We love Titans football, but this is a jam-packed episode. Absolutely. We are going to start here with the seven cuts the Titans made recently. So last week, 90-man rosters had to be trimmed down to 85. Titans ended up cutting seven guys because they traded for one and claimed another off waivers. So all in all, turn, turnover of seven players. The seven guys who were cut were wide receiver Josh Malone, Carson Green, Briley Moore, Deontay Burton, Jordan Wilkins, Haskell Garrett, and Elijah Benton. Now, a handful of those names, most fans probably didn't even know were on the roster, but some other guys like Josh Malone, Jordan Wilkins, well, they play skill positions, so we've seen them more. And, you know, Josh Malone had a lot of hype coming out of the offseason program back in the spring. So interesting to see his name on this list. But at the end of the day, none of these guys really had a chance to make the roster anyway. And I think that, you know, we knew that. But now it's obviously they are gone. So they definitely won't be on the team. Any thoughts on any of these guys specifically? Yeah, the two I'll quickly touch on. Josh Malone, the first one, um, had a lot of hype, you know, out of the offseason program. You know, an interesting redemption story being that he was a pretty good receiver at the University of Tennessee coming out of college. Um, just faded down the stretch, right? Couldn't keep that momentum going. Was easily being outperformed by Des Fitzpatrick, um, who, you know, we thought they were in a battle for the receiver's sixth spot once upon a time. I, I might even say guys like Mason Kinsey, Reggie Roberson, and, and Terry Godwin had been outperforming him uh, in recent weeks. So not shocked to see him cut based on his recent performances. The last one I'll touch on is Haskell Garrett. Because he, he was yeah. at least, you know, a, a defensive tackle coming out of the Ohio State University, he was a big school guy, played a lot of football at Ohio State, was well known uh, in the NFL draft landscape, just never really uh, got in the mix with the back end D lineman. I thought Jaden Peavy has been significantly better than him, another uh, UDFA D lineman out of, out of Texas A&M, and also guy, uh, veteran guys that are fighting for a, a back end spot like Deshaun Hand and even Kevin Strong, I would say, have been better than, than Garrett throughout both practice and the preseason. And so uh, ultimately not a surprise, but somewhat notable because he was a well-known UDFA sign. Right. And Jordan Wilkins, I think, is also somewhat notable just because it shows how far behind he he really was in the running back competition for those two, I guess, two backup running back spots, RB3, RB4, 
Titans now have 85 guys on the roster. They will have to trim down to 80 before they fi- make the final cuts to 53. Um, but the two guys they added last week to make it seven cuts are former Kentucky cornerback slash safety Lonnie Johnson, who was a second round draft pick by the Texans, traded to the Chiefs earlier this offseason, and the Chiefs let him go. So the Titans pounce on it, has some crossover there with Anthony Midget. Uh, from the Texans staff, but didn't actually play under Mike Vrabel in Houston. Looked pretty good, I thought, in the preseason game last night. What do you What do you think of Lonnie Johnson's chances to actually make this team? I thought he looked good yesterday in the preseason game. I thought he looked pretty good. He got on the field early too, right? If, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, Amani Hooker started the game, didn't play many snaps, maybe three or four. And then I think it was Lonnie Johnson that came in almost immediately to replace him couple good reps in coverage on tight ends, right? First thing here is you, you said versatile DB corner slash safety. Um, I thought that was pretty much confirmation yesterday that the Titans view him as a safety. And that's what I yeah. thought they were going to view him as when they, when they uh, claimed him a, a couple of weeks ago or a few days ago, really. Um, I, I thought he looked good at safety. Kind of played that tight end eraser role a little bit, right? That Dane Crookshank sort of role. And uh, I thought he had some good reps. I believe he also forced a fumble, right, in the game. The first fumble that yeah. was forced. Um, so I, I really liked the, the look of Lonnie Johnson. Look, when, when they claimed him, I'm not going to lie. I thought it looked, obviously, you know, hasn't lived up to expectations as a second-round pick coming out of Kentucky for the Texans. And then for Kansas City to trade for him and then cut him so quickly – that was a red flag for me, right? I'm like, that's not like they traded for this guy and they gave up on him awfully quick, right? So right. not a good sign uh, coming out of Kansas City there. Uh, but I, I did like what I saw yesterday. And I'm, I'm, I'm based on that performance, I'm starting to feel like he might have a chance to make this roster. I think he does just because the back end safety depth, like they clearly aren't happy with it. And Amani Hooker, not... A serious injury that we have to worry about but it's been a while since we've seen elijah molden out there and he is a guy that can play a little bit of safety if, in a depth role and titans seem to have four really good cornerbacks at this point which we'll talk about in a second but the they also traded for another safety so tyree gillespie a former fourth round pick of the raiders last year traded to the titans for what a 2024 conditional seventh round pick it's almost right. free um but this competition, they're clearly adding at the safety position and guys who should or could play special teams as well makes me think that at least one of these two guys has a chance to make the roster, if not both of them, because they clearly don't like what they have behind Hooker and Byard at safety. This thing is starting to get really jumbled at safety at the back end of the position. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I thought Tyree uh, uh, Gillespie was pretty good last night as well. I thought he kind of showed out on a couple of reps. And another guy we probably are, we're going to comb over unless I bring him up right now. I thought Adrian Colbert looks pretty good as well. Right, Another back end safety that they signed a few weeks ago. So this thing is going to be tough to predict. It's getting real jumbled. AJ Moore didn't play yesterday. I don't know why he didn't play. I don't, I, I'm not sure if he's nursing an undisclosed injury. I don't recall seeing anything throughout the week, though, that he was banged up. So that's really interesting that AJ Moore didn't play. I think he's starting to lose a lot of momentum, right? This is a guy they signed to a one-year contract worth $2.5 million. I, think, I, I believe most of that is guaranteed, right? Typically, when you sign for one year, most of it's guaranteed. So, um he, a little concerned about his chances to make the roster now. I'm not so sure um, that it's as much of a sure thing as it was when they initially signed him, right? It felt like he was coming in to replace either Dane Crookshank or even Matthias Farley, another guy they let go in free agency. So 
this thing's getting jumbled, man. And Theo Jackson, the you know, the sixth round pick out of Tennessee, hasn't been on the field much lately with an injury, right? It wouldn't totally shock me if he ends up on, on the PUP or even season-ending IR, right? If they think it's going to take too long for him to get back, uh, don't be shocked if they just go ahead and stash him. Right. So yeah. uh, especially because they're liking some of these other guys, right, like Lonnie Johnson and Adrian Colbert. So uh, I, I really don't know. I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going to happen here at safety. because there's a lot of different directions this thing can go over these next uh, two short weeks, basically, until they got to make these decisions. Yeah. And we'll get more into the game in a second. But just while we're on the subject here, Lonnie Johnson um, was tied for the team lead in defensive snaps played along with Josh Kalu. He played 37 defensive snaps last night, and he also played seven special team snaps. Sorry, we are recording this on Sunday morning, if that doesn't become more obvious by how many times I'm going to accidentally say last night. But on <laughs> Saturday night, uh, Lonnie Johnson played 37 defensive snaps, seven special team snaps. Gillespie only played 10 snaps on defense and one special team snap. So I don't know if that means anybody is ahead of anybody at this stage, because I think they're just trying to get their new safeties a lot of reps in what is a very complex defense with a lot of coverage units that, you know, the coverages they deploy cycle after the snap or they're trying to disguise what they're doing and they have very complex rules that everyone is trying to learn. So getting these guys more snaps in this kind of setting doesn't necessarily mean anyone's ahead or behind of anyone. I just think they're trying to get them a lot of reps. So I'm not going to read too much into that from last night's from Saturday night's game. Can I ask, can I ask a question? How many snaps did Adrian Colbert play by comparison? Adrian Colbert played 18. So right in between those two. I think Lonnie's probably in the driver's seat. Um, Colbert's probably trailing him a little bit. And then Gillespie's trailing both of them uh, just by a little bit as well. So this thing is tight. Yeah, definitely. So we'll talk more about that as the weeks unfold. We'll see what happens when they cut down to 80. Five more cuts coming Tuesday. So by the time you listen to this episode, that might already happen. Tuesday, the 23rd, five more cuts coming. Right. So um, we'll see how the roster unfolds. But since those cuts, the Titans practiced last Wednesday and Thursday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Nashville with some joint practices. Obviously, Tom Brady's not out there. There's a theory slash rumor going around that he's taking time away to do the Masked Singer. However, Benjamin Albright has a source who like works on the Masked Singer who said that's not true, so who knows what's up with that. But um, Or if you can trust Benjamin Albright, that's on you. Friend of the show, but hey. Um, so anyway, Titans practicing against the Bucks with no Tom Brady. So lots of reps against Blaine Gabbert and uh, Kyle Trask, who are... How do I put this nicely? Very bad at quarterback. So how much can we really learn from these joint practices? How much can we take away? I think we can look at what, how the offense did, how certain individual guys on the defense performed. And I think the place I want to start with joint practices is Caleb Farley, because I think he was kind of the story of the week. Just in terms of Wednesday, got beat a few times, had a few wins himself as well, but didn't have the best day on Wednesday. Came back on Thursday with a really strong practice, multiple pass breakups, sticky coverage. I think that the development of Caleb Farley is going to be one to track for this season because as his play rises and falls, so could the the whole play of the defense as like he's kind of like that linchpin that holds everything together, in my opinion. Um, but Roger McCreary looks really good, too, and played with the first team defense last night and had a nice pass breakup. So what do you what do you think about the reports coming out of training camp about Caleb Farley and any other takeaways that you noticed? Yeah, I thought you you kind of covered it there. I thought Wednesday was a pretty rough day for him based on what we saw. There was that one rep against Jalen Darden where he got relatively embarrassed, right? I mean, it's a bad matchup for him because Darden's such a, a small, twitchy, 
um, kind of a one trick pony, but he kind of duped Caleb out of his shoes on the cutback and everything. And would probably yeah. would have picked up a ton of yak um, if that was a real game potentially. Uh, but, but I thought he bounced back really nicely on Thursday and we'll get into this more. And I thought he was perhaps most importantly, was really good in the game right on Saturday night. So uh, I, I, in terms of overall takeaways, I thought the joint practices kind of trended in that direction. I thought in general, Wednesday probably wasn't the best day for them. I thought the receivers struggled on Wednesday as well. Weren't making a ton of plays uh, in one-on-ones. And then Thursday came and I thought the receivers were a lot better. And then the DBs were excellent on Thursday. You saw strings of six, seven, eight plays consecutively. The Titans DBs won them all right in those one-on-one drills against receivers. So I thought in general, Tampa Bay probably won the day on Wednesday. And I thought the Titans won the day on Thursday. And in, in relation to Farley, um, it's a bit of a question now. Is he the outside starter week one or is it Roger McCreary, right? I gave, uh, you know, uh, Tic Tac, uh, the locked on uh, Titans host, a little flack on Twitter for saying it was definitely going to be McCreary. I'm not ready to say that. Um, but I think this thing is now kind of up in the air a little bit, right? I think it could be McCreary. I think it could be Farley. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I definitely know which one it's going to be because I don't, I don't know that the Titans know yet. I think they're probably still figuring that out based on what we saw in Saturday's game and based on what, on what we saw throughout joint practices. It seems like there's a, a universe where McCreary starts on the boundary, and then when they go to three receiver sets, they move Farley out there and move McCreary into the slot. Keep in mind, Elijah Molden hasn't been overly available lately, so that could also just be a result of Molden's unavailability. But um, there's a question here at corner, man, and I thought the joint practices added to that, and I thought some of the preseason action we saw added a little to it as well. Yeah, and I think it could be one of those situations where Mike Vrabel is looking around like, okay, what if Molden goes down? We have to be ready. Right. Or what if he's not ready to start week one? We have to know what we're doing to to you know function as a defense, and that could very well mean McCreary's outside and in the nickel uh, for three cornerback you know nickel packages. So, yeah. It's, it's too bad. I just want to add quickly. You mentioned Tom, it's too bad Tom Brady wasn't there for those joint practices, right? I think – Titans would have loved to have seen Brady just to give him a good feel on um, on where they're at defensively, right? From a DB standpoint, I think you, they feel good about where they're at. But something about Brady, and I know there's not, you know, there's no, there weren't rushing the passer obviously in these joint practices, but he gets the ball out so quickly, it would have added another wrinkle, right, to those receiver DB battles. So it's a shame we didn't get to see Tom in the joint practices. Right, Tom traditionally one of those quarterbacks who makes his. his- mediocre receivers better i mean the tampa bay bucks have great receivers but mike evans wasn't practicing chris godwin wasn't practicing julio jones was practicing which is a rare sight for titans fans but um they didn't (laughs) really get to go on a couple of them right yeah that was one of the best reports out of out of those practices too was that fulton was locking up julio but you know that the titans aren't going to have a chance to play too many bad quarterbacks this year but they will play maybe a, a couple depending on injury or what happens throughout the season. I mean, their schedule is pretty tough when it comes to quarterbacks. Like even the bad teams they play, like the Jaguars have what people expect to be a great quarterback and Trevor Lawrence. They do get Carson Wentz and the commanders. Um, and Davis, Davis Mills, Mills twice, hopefully is one. Is twice one. with Davis Mills. You know, there's a lot of people who liked what Davis Mills put on tape last year, but you know, he only played like 13 games in college. Didn't carve so up he's the so very inexperienced. A couple times. Even in the, the last <laughs> game did. where we won Mills, uh, Mills carved them up a little bit. And they get Jalen hurts in the Eagles, depending on what you think of Jalen hurts as a passer, but they also have to play against Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, um, 
Derek Carr, whatever you think of him. They get Daniel Jones week one, so they'll kind of ramp up into this quarterback schedule. But it, it is interesting, you know, just like when they do play a team who's playing their backup quarterback, you feel pretty confident anyway, but I'm going to feel really confident about this Titans defense because they made those quarterbacks in the preseason game last night look pretty bad. Um, any other thoughts from the joint recap or from the joint practice? I would say the right tackle battle is still very intriguing with Petty Frere getting those first team reps on in Thursday's practice. And then we saw an extension of that last night in terms of the competition. What did you think about the, that battle that's going on still? Yeah, let's get into the preseason game, and we can start with that. I think we've kind of we've covered the joint practice as well enough. I think uh, I think it kind of I summed it up by saying Tampa probably won the day on Wednesday, and the Titans won the day on Thursday. Uh, in my opinion, yeah. heading into the game, uh, I, I think the most intriguing um, takeaway is what you just mentioned about the right tackle battle, right? Where uh, Dylan Radens did not look very good, right? I, I think um, that's the the god honest truth. I think that's probably going to be the main talking point of Titans Twitter. Uh, coming away. I mean, it might be Malik Willis. I could be wrong, but I think the Dylan Radins thing is probably going to dominate a lot of the talking points because I, I, I thought he struggled, right? Particularly in pass protection. I thought he struggled. He was beat a couple of times. He had a false start. Uh, Petit Friere ended up having a false start as well. So it's, that's worth mentioning. He tied 1-1 uh, in the false start department. And I thought Petit Friere got away with one that wasn't called. I thought it was pretty clear that that he, he it was a false start. But um, yeah. it, it was the pass pro for Raidens that really uh, looked concerning. I thought he was pretty good in run blocking. That's kind of the story on him, right, coming out as well. I think people were very confident with him as a run blocker. Had some more questions in pass protection. More, more with strength and power because he's very athletic. This is not a guy that, that has an issue with athleticism. You can go look up the relative athletic score, the RAS score. He blew away the combine. He's almost a 10 out of 10 athlete uh, at the offensive tackle position. But it's power and technique, right, are, are the questions on him. And it didn't look very good for him last night, right? I'm starting to think that it might be Petit Friere starting week one, right? And that would be, in all honesty, um, I would almost call it an epic failure on Radiance's part, to be honest, if that's the outcome. Because as a second-year guy, you should be able to beat the first-year guy. You were you were drafted earlier, right, like 25 picks earlier than he was, a year earlier than him. So um, would would be a pretty bad look for Radiance in my if he can't win this job in his future outlook. And also bad for John Robinson, right, with this never-ending capital being poured into trying to fix right tactical. If Radiance ends up busting and it's way too early in my opinion to say that with any certainty but if he does you add him to the isaiah wilson failure and you look at those back-to-back years trying to fix right tackle first and second round picks and, and then now you got petit friere coming in here right so it was a, th- a third time potentially you're trying to fix right tackle after letting jack conklin go so i'm curious to get your thoughts because you know i've been pro rated the entire time and i'm not you know i I try to stay level-headed. I'm not going to overreact too much to last night's performance, Saturday night's performance for him. But I am starting to think that it might be Petit Friere at right tackle against the Giants. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting because, again, trying not to read too much into the snap counts, but I think that is where we can learn more than anything what the coaches are thinking, you know, more than anything else we see on the field. Raiden's played 26 snaps at right tackle. NPF played eight snaps at right tackle. Huge NPF also played, he also played 26 snaps at left tackle, but that was, you know, that's to see if he can be the swing guy. I think putting Raidens out there for 26 snaps at right tackle compared to only eight for NPF might signal that NPF is slightly in the lead, especially since Raidens 
you know, on 15 dropbacks, allowed two quarterback hurries. That's, you know, one every eight dropbacks is going to be a recipe for disaster there. So he's just got to be better. And I think maybe they want to get him more reps just to get him more. But then you look at preseason week one when he only played seven snaps and NPF played so much many more. So maybe that's just a rotational thing. Like this is Raiden's game to get more reps. Maybe they're trying to get an extended look at him to make a decision in this competition. But, you know, the sooner they can pick a right tackle, because we know at this point, spoiler alert to anyone waiting for the end of the preseason, Aaron Brew is your left guard. Um, I think that's going to be more more or less cemented in stone by this point. But at right tackle, you know, the sooner you can get those five guys out there working every rep together in practice, the better they're going to gel, especially when it comes to the run game and with picking up twists and stunts and the pass protection. You know, individual effort is what it is, but they really do need to play together to learn how to work off of each other. And the longer they drag out the right tackle competition, that's more I'm more concerned because, in my opinion, whoever wins this job, like maybe it's an indictment on Robinson not being able to fix the right tackle position as fast as he should or could have. But, I mean, if you can get five guys that can play well on the offensive line, that's really all that matters, in my opinion. But pick them. Like, I just want to see them make a decision here and let one of these two guys take the position and run with it as opposed to playing like both of them have done so far snaps at right tackle snaps at left tackle back to right tackle like this like snip snap snip snap you know like let them really hone in on one of these two sides because the technique is completely flip-flopped when you know you're going from right to left constantly and I, I feel like they could get a better feel for being good at right tackle if they just stayed at right tackle the only thing I want to say in response to that is you talked about the snap count and you said, well, maybe it's a sign that NPF is in the lead. There's so many ways to read into the snap count. I almost go the other way. Like I would think if NPF was in the lead, you don't want to give Dylan Radins more snaps at left tackle to see if he can be the swing tackle. But they did the, the opposite of that, right? They gave NPF a bunch of snaps at left tackle and you mentioned potentially a swing tackle situation, right? So I know I just said three, four minutes ago that I'm, I'm starting to feel NPF is in the lead, but this thing is kind of confusing, right? Like, I, again, I would like to think if that was the case, then you want to see if Radins, or maybe they feel comfortable that Radins can play left tackle because that's what he played in college and that's what he, the one start he had last year. So I don't know. I don't know where this thing is going. All I know for sure is that was not a good showcase for Radins on Saturday night at right tackle. And it was a pretty decent showcase for NPF, again, based on limited snaps at right tackle, only eight. But he also looked pretty good at left tackle. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to read into things that we just simply don't know here. So I think it's just going to be something to keep an eye on in practices over the coming week. You know, joint practices next week against the Cardinals. Who's taking the first team right tackle snaps is going to be the story, I think, because that's the one thing we still are trying to settle. Um, Speaking of settling positions, is Kyle Phillips your punt returner for this season? Absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He was excellent um, on Saturday night, like totally excellent. Right? He looked elusive. He looked quick. He caught the ball cleanly. He made good decisions, right? He fair, you know, he made a fair catch when he should have. Uh, he returned it when he should have. Like, I think there's no question that Kyle Phillips um, is your punt returner this season. I, I don't even think it's a battle anymore. I, I, I really don't. Uh, who else? I think uh, Godwin was the only other guy that returned punt, two punts for Godwin, uh, 22 yards, 11 average. I mean, whatever, right? I mean, he had a long of 21, though. But Mason Kinsey, three punt returns, 77 yards. That's an average of 26 yards per punt return with a long of 35. So, yeah, the 35-yard punt was excellent. But it means the other two were good as well, right? Like, he picked up yards on all three punt returns 
Yeah. Right in pen. It's it's a done deal, man. Kyle Phillips is the punt returner. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think he finally we got a chance as fans. We've been hearing so much about what he's been doing in practice. Finally got to see him on the field, making people miss, even though he wasn't super productive as a receiver. He did have a really nifty toe tap catch on the sideline, but he also had some great he he just looked great as a power turner and supernatural ability to make people miss and like you said, make good decisions. So I fully agree that that job is locked up. Um let's talk about Caleb Farley because he was on the field for a lot longer than most of the first team defense. And I'm before we talk about how well he played, because he played really well, do you think it means anything that he was out there so much longer than a rookie like Roger McCreary, for example? Or is this simply a case of this guy tore his ACL last year? He's only really played cornerback for three-ish years of his life. Let's get him some extra reps to get him back into the speed of the game. Or is this a signal that, like we were talking about earlier, there's a chance Roger McCreary is your starting cornerback opening day and not Caleb Farley? Caleb Farley needs reps, simple and plain. You know, you know, uh, we're not going to do it now, but forget about who's in the NFL. Forget about who's in college. Let's go look at pure snaps played at cornerback. Roger McCreary has played a lot more snaps at cornerback than Caleb Farley has over the last three years. I know obviously that McCreary's a rookie, Farley's a second year pro, but he had the torn ACL last year, didn't play the year before with the back and, and all that coming out of um, coming out of college. So he needs reps. It's simple and plain. No, don't do not read too much into it. I'm urging you. If you're listening to this podcast, don't worry about Caleb Farley playing. I think even into the second half on Saturday night, he needs reps. He needs to play cornerback. It's simple and plain. He can still start week one. It doesn't matter that it's, it's he was not out there with the threes and fours because they're going to cut him or they're going to trade him. Like I think, I, I think I saw someone recommend uh, mention on Twitter a few weeks ago. No, yeah. Caleb Farley needs reps. It's that simple. And he was good. He was really good last night. 26 defensive snaps for Farley. It's not like he played a ton more than Roger McCreary, who played 19. Right. Um, and he played less than Greg Maven, Shakir Brown. I mentioned Lonnie Johnson and Josh Kalu earlier, playing 37 snaps to lead the defense. Farley targeted four times on 18 coverage snaps. He had a pass breakup. PFF coverage grade was 48.9, which seems like it doesn't track with allowing zero catches on four targets on 18 coverage snaps. So I'm not really sure where, like, you know, with PFF, like maybe he got beat and they dinged him points. He did get beat down the down the field on one play that was just badly thrown and the receiver couldn't quite haul it in. So maybe he got docked points for that one. Um, I don't know. The point is he allowed zero catches on four targets and he did get his hand in for a really nice pass breakup. I thought the eye test wise, he looked really good. But he was the Titans' second lowest rated coverage player um, by PFF coverage grades. Yeah, I, I don't really understand that because he looks really good. He passed the eye test. He delivered the boom on one play, right, where I think uh, resulted in completion. He came up and supported in the run game as well, which I love to see him do. So uh, I, I don't know where that coverage grade comes from. Very nearly recovered a fumble on the yeah. sideline, but was just like barely he out of bounds. Great. He played great. Played great. Um the other cornerbacks, I mean, I think something I learned last night is that the back end competition for whoever gets that last one or two cornerback spots is a pretty tough competition. I mean, Trey Avery had some pretty good snaps as well. He came up and made a really nice tackle. And then on the very next play, got his hand in to deflect a pass that was caught, but it was a contested catch and a really tough play. And then a couple of plays later in the end zone, he deflected a ball away. And so, Trey Avery, a guy that you've been talking about because he came in as a UDFA this year, um, has looked pretty good. Shakur Brown got a little bit torched last night. He allowed three catches for 50 yards on just four targets. So he had a good week one game and not so good week two game. So I'm 
trying to sort through this competition at the back end of the cornerback depth chart. I don't it's know tough. if this is something you really want to get into, but well, what did you think of those guys? No, I thought I think it's tough, right? I think if healthy, obviously they're keeping Fulton, Farley, um, McCreary, Molden, and Chris Jackson. If healthy, that's five. So they're going to carry a sixth. Uh, I think it's probably uh, a, a close race between Greg Mabin, and Shakur Brown, and maybe even Trey Avery got himself into the mix last night. Uh, or, or they might look elsewhere to the waiver wire, right? When everyone else finalizes their cuts, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they brought in a sixth corner from another team. So uh, I, I, I don't think it's worth getting into it too much right now, especially based on what we saw last night. I, I think it's a, a tight battle. Yeah, and I think special teams could end up having a big role in who makes the team there. Um, let's talk about Malik Willis because, you know, another game, another Malik Willis. You know, he's, he's the people have been waiting looking, for. He's looking exciting. He, he makes plays with his legs. He slips out of sacks and rolls out and makes stuff stuff happen. Still holding on to the ball a little too much, I think, but it was really nice to see the first play of the game. Fakes the handoff, drops back, hits the top of his drop, fires the ball. It's right there on target to Nick Westbrook-Akina so that he turns the correct way away from the linebacker coming at him. Really nice play there. He had another play um, rolling to his right, sidearm throw to Des Fitzpatrick, where it was kind of like, holy crap, was that even to Des Fitzpatrick? I'm not even sure. but That might have been my favorite play of the night from him, (laughs) just because uh, another sidearm, back-to-back games with the sidearm action. That was escaping pressure to his right, and it was a pretty big gain, right? I think that Fitzpatrick completion went for like 20 yards in a first down. Yeah, that was a big play. He uh, stands in the pocket, goes through his reads, and hits Chigaquanko in the end zone on a really well-placed ball out in front of a running to the who, to his left receiver for the touchdown, his first touchdown pass as a Titan. So lots of good things to take away. There were some bad things, too. I mean, he only completed 7 of 17 passes. There were two passes he, he threw that were dropped, so that would have pushed him at least over the 50% uh, completion mark. Would have looked a little better. That was the deep one to Racy McMath. You'd love yeah. to see Racy come down with that ball, as he did last week against Baltimore and as he's done throughout training camp and practice. Target him deep. I thought the throw was right on the numbers. It was a really good, yeah, accurate. It was, a good throw. it was a deep throw, right? So you love to see the accuracy on the deep throw. Hit Racy right between the chest, right? So you would like to see him come down with that. And then the other drop would have been the Mason Kinsey one, I assume, which only would have gone for a, a two or three yard gain, but still, right? It would have made Malik, let's say, nine of 15 as opposed to seven of 17. Yeah, well, nine of 17, but yeah, exactly. The touchdown throw, I'm going to say, I'll say real quickly, um, I thought the touchdown throw um, was great, right? It was what you want to see. Stood in the pocket, scanned the field, went through his progressions i think chig was his third read right so you love to see him stay patient in the pocket come to his third read and as you said deliver a really catchable ball in perfect uh perfect ball placement uh first career i don't you know preseason doesn't really count but first career touchdown for both players and you really love to see it yeah exactly and uh, of those 17 passes with 10 incompletions one was also a throwaway so if you're really trying to drill down into the accuracy of it right 10 uh, or sorry, nine of nine of sixteen on target throws. Um, he was sacked three times, took three sacks, had a another time to throw metric of over four seconds, which is pretty high for NFL by comparison. Logan Woodside was at two point eight three in Saturday night's game. Um, but improvement is what we're seeing. Like it's again, like anyone who was expecting him to come out and like take a major leap between last game and this game just had unrealistic expectations. You know, this is something that's going to take time for him to develop, to really start understanding what he's seeing, processing, not only what the defense is doing, but how the offense 
at, like reacts to the defense, how routes might change based on the coverage they're facing and where his first read should be based on, again, the coverage. So he said last night that he was starting to, you know, after the game, he talked in the press conference, he said he's starting to identify when it's cover two and when you got to take your check down. And everything he said last night shows me that he fully understands where he needs to keep improving. He's not there yet. And, you know, he, again, like going from where he was last week to being like a perfect quarterback who's going to see everything right away and hit every throw that he needs to hit. That's not going to happen. It's going to take time. That's why he's always been a project. But I certainly feel even more better than I did last week. And that's a very poor grammatical sentence, but it actually makes sense if you think about what I'm saying. I felt better about him as QB2 after the first game. I feel even more better about him as QB2 after last after Saturday night's game because it's not just what he's doing. It's also how Logan Woodside looks. But the main thing to me is that even if he can't execute the offense perfectly right away, the ability to make plays with his legs and just make the defense defend him as a runner opens up more passing lanes. And we saw the off script stuff. We just talked about the sidearm throw, another great play off script, making something happen that he just gives me confidence that he could go out and win you a game. Whereas Logan Woodside, you'd basically be asking him to not lose you a game. And that's a huge difference right now. What did you think about Malik? Yeah, he had five carries for 42 yards as well. Malik Willis did last night. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think it was it was baby steps, right? Like you, it wasn't a massive improvement, but the most important thing is it was an improvement. I do think it was better than it was against Baltimore. Still some, you know, signs of indecisiveness where, especially I thought in the middle of his stretch, I thought there was a really poor stretch in the middle there where it felt like he was refusing to throw the ball again and it wasn't going to get better at all, but it did get better. Like the first throw to Nick Westbrook, I, I give credit for, but I also wonder how much of that was scripted pregame. It almost certainly was, right? So I wanted to see the stuff in between. Even the first throw of the third quarter, he hit it. It was an outside. I think it was it was an outside. I can't remember who it was, too, but it was an outside. I think it was Des Fitzpatrick, actually. Yeah, a little sticker out on the outside. Again, probably scripted coming out of halftime, mm -hmm. right? So yep. I wanted to see some of the stuff that wasn't scripted. There was a rough patch in the middle there where I'm like, all right, this guy's going to get pulled again for not throwing the ball. But it did get better. Uh, that's, you know, that's when the side armor came to Des Fitzpatrick again I know that was off script but the touchdown throw to Chig was a perfect example of him being willing to stand in the pocket stand in the pocket scan his options remain calm not take off running wait for something to become available and deliver a perfect uh ball to Chig Aquanquo for the touchdown so it was better Logan Woodside it was rough again I'm starting to really think it's possible that they really do just roll with the two quarterbacks with Malik Willis you said it right Logan 7 of 11, 56 yards, an interception. Again, playing with that terrible fourth quarter O-line is not doing them any favors, right? None of those guys probably have much of a chance to make the roster in all honesty, but um, it was bad, right? The, you want to see him hit Traylon Burks? You want to see him at least give Traylon a chance deep there? No, it's underthrown, and I thought Traylon getting some flack for not battling for it. I, I don't know what he could have done there, right? It was, a, it was a duck that was underthrown right to the corner, essentially. So Yeah, um, it wasn't even like Burks had a one-on-one -on -one there. It wasn't double coverage, so it was just like a right. bad decision and a bad throw. Right. Uh, no, I'm starting to think that it, it could be a two QB thing, which they would prefer. Let's be honest, right? Like they would, they would love to be able to just carry two QBs and free up a spot for another guy on the, on the team as they've done uh, previously. So, uh, it might come to that now I'm excited. To, I'm curious to find out because I don't know. I'm not saying one way or another, what's going to happen for sure, because, I think they could still carry three and, and probably like what Malik Willis gives them from an intangibles perspective uh, in terms of his mind, his IQ and the knowledge of the, and, and, and grip he has on the offense. But uh, I think it's becoming likelier that it's a two QB game with Malik.
Yeah, and I think that that is honestly, like you said, that's what they prefer. And we saw it a little bit in the joint practices. That's why we're on this topic. We didn't mention that Malik Willis was getting a lot more QB2 reps or reps with the second team during the joint practices. And Vrabel was asked about it in a press conference. And he said, like, it's nothing against Logan. We just want to get Malik more reps with the second team. And it's like, if Malik needs more reps, there's a reason for it. It's because they're trying to prep him to get ready to be able to come in and play so I do think this is all leading to Logan Woodside cut added back to the practice squad. We'll see if Atlanta tries to take him away because of Arthur and, Smith. But after and, this preseason, I can't see any other team wanting him. No. And if, if you do go that route and you get him on the practice, I don't worry too much about Atlanta because they're going to carry two Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota on the active roster. So that would also you know force them to carry three, which I'm not sure they want to do. Uh, and I'm not sure Logan would pick their practice squad over Tennessee. So I don't think that would make a ton yeah. of sense for Logan. Um, and keep in mind, if you get him on the practice squad, if you're worried those first couple weeks, you continue to worry about Malik uh, having to come into a game in case of a Tannehill injury. I knock on wood as I say that you can elevate him four times, right? To the active game day roster wood side. So you get him on the practice squad and you can still have him back up Ryan Tannehill for the first few weeks of the season. Then at that point, who knows an injury happens, yada, yada. You might be able to, uh, I, I don't mean that quarterback. I mean, elsewhere on the roster injuries aren't going to happen. Then you might be able to justify more carrying a third quarter. Okay. We'll replace this seventh DB with Logan Woodside and add him back to the 53. So there's so many outcomes to this. There's so many ways they can protect themselves. Yeah, exactly. But the the long story short is what I learned from the preseason game is that Malik Willis could be the backup quarterback this season, and I would feel just fine about it. Um, another thing I learned last night, Rashad Weaver is going to have an impact this year. And I don't know what kind of role he's really going to have in terms of, you know, every down, because I definitely don't think it's an every down role. No. But when he comes into the game, he just makes plays. And last night he had multiple pressures. He had a sack. He had pressures. He had a tackle for loss. I mean, he's just like a he looks like a game wrecker on the defensive line. Strong player. His sack came on a really nice rush where he dipped and ripped through the offensive tackle, drew a holding penalty, fought through the holding penalty, still got to Trask and and buried him into the turf. I mean, I just really like what I'm seeing from Weaver. Arrow continues to point up. No doubt about it. Of course, he's making this 53-man roster. Going to have a role as, as a backup guy to Harold Landry um, and Bud Dupree. Going to have a role. Really like him. Really like what we've seen throughout training camp. Mike Vrabel's been full of praise for him, which, again, you know, means something when Vrabel's willing to do that and kind of stick his neck out for a young guy. Um, been great in both preseason games. I don't have a ton to add. I, 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 just, I love what I'm seeing from him. Really excited to watch him. Hopefully he stays healthy this year. Of course, he had the freak uh, you know, leg injury last year, prevented him from making an impact as a rookie. Really excited to see him play in year two. I think he's going to have a role come in as a rotational guy. That thing's pretty jam-packed, too, with Ola Daney. David Anini had two sacks in the first preseason game, had a strip uh, on Saturday night. So I, I don't yep. think Weaver's in danger of losing his spot to someone like Anini. Uh, and I, I don't mean roster spot. I mean snaps, right? Uh, but uh, but that thing, that, that it's a good problem to have, that you're seeing a lot of production from these backup pass rushers. You, you like all three of them. I don't know that they can keep all three, being Weaver, Adini, and uh, Anini. Geez, try to say that. Weaver, a Daney, and a Ninny. I don't think you keep all three, but uh, it's a possibility. Uh, but I think Weaver is probably the number one backup at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think you might have to keep all three at this point. David and Ninny had another, he had another terrific game, and um, Pro Football Focus graded him at a 90.8 pass rushing grade. He, again, he had another sack that he po poked the ball out. A Daney had a sack as well. Um, 
And then other guys that popped on the defensive line. I mean, Demarcus Walker was in the backfield all night. It felt like whenever he was on the field. Jaden Peavy showed a great hustle on one play. Great effort, great hustle. They even they pointed out on the broadcast. Uh, I, I like Jaden Peavy. I still like him. Yeah, and Deshaun Hand got in the backfield for a sack, too, on what looked like a really nice rush. Um, they're, they're stacked at this position group. It's going to be tough to make Lorel decisions. Murchison had a big TFL. That was huge for him. That's right. You know, being that he's on the roster bubble, he, he paired up with Naquan Jones for that TFL. It was, it was a big, big play for Laurel to make. Yeah, and uh, Chance Campbell, while we're on the subject, had two pass yeah, rush snaps well. and got, got a hurry on one of them, and he also flew into the backfield for a TFL on one play that looked, you know, like he was keying really fast. Had good coverage, too. Yeah. Good coverage on a couple plays, Chance Campbell. He's looking... Uh, more and more like another late round J-Rob linebacker find potentially. So we'll see if he even gets a chance to play, but he's getting a lot of reps right now with all the injuries to the position. I want to quickly shout out Josh Kalu as well. I think it's become a habit of mine to shout out an underrated guy quickly on this show and make sure that we cover all of these guys. I thought Josh Kalu played really well last night, forced the fumble on one play. I think that was the one that didn't go down as a recovery because they ended up being out of bounds, but that's not the takeaway, right? The takeaway is that Josh Kalu forced a fumble, right? And, and, and I thought he looked really good. Titans legend, Joshua Kalu. It's the second stint here. Everyone knows him. Everyone remembers that blocked field goal against the Chiefs a couple of years ago. Thought Kalu played really well last night. Got banged up. I hope it's not a serious injury. I think it was a groin they ruled him out with, but I thought he looked good, and I think he's got an underrated chance to make this 53-man roster because he's great on special teams as well. As we all know, he's so good on special teams, and he doesn't look like a guy that's incapable of playing defense. I thought he looked really good. Yeah, so we'll hope that he is healthy because he did. He was sitting on the field, kind of like shaking his head, like, man, I don't know why it's just, it just won't stop bothering me. So you could tell he was trying to fight through it and ultimately couldn't. Um, speaking of special teams, though, we got one more position to talk about here. We talked about it last week also the punter battle. It was Stonehouse's week to show us what he's got. And I thought that, you know, the raw talent was there and the tantalizing leg that would, you know, allow him to unseat brett kern as this team's punter was there but it's the little things right we want to talk about that a little bit yeah i do obviously you know the 68 yard punt is going to get a lot of coverage on social media rightfully so it was a hell of a friggin' punt it was unbelievable right there are things he needs to continue working on right like the touchbacks he had two touchbacks where i mean one of them it looked like he booted into the fourth row of the crowd <laughs> it looked like there was no effort whatsoever to Try placing it within the 20, right? Uh, at the 10. Give a guy a chance to down it at the five or, or at the 10 or a coffin quarter. Kick it out of bounds to the five, the 10 yard line. That's something Brett Kern has been so good at throughout his career. That's the difference right now. Brett Kern had two punts within the 20 yard line, right? I mean, you know what I mean? He, plus the, he pinned the opponents within their 20 yard line. Neither of them were touchbacks. If you want to do some box yeah. score scouting, you see O'Reilly Stonehouse also had two punts within the 20, but they were both touchbacks. The team started at the 20 yard line. That's the major difference between Kern and Stonehouse right now. Don't get me wrong. I think this thing is a legit battle. We talk about getting younger, getting cheaper. Stonehouse gives you those things. You see the leg count. And it's not just about getting cheaper. It's about, you know, Brett Kern's not going to be your punter for the next 10 years. So if you can find that guy now, that's awfully tempting. I get that. And that's why I think this thing is a legit battle. But when you look at the raw numbers, the raw mechanics, Brett, you know, Stonehouse has to has to get better at trying to pin a, pin a team back there, right? Like that one punt, it was honestly confusing to me. I'm like, wow, he just punted it like right out of the end zone. Like he looks like he just, he punted the thing as hard as he could. 
right? It was not, that's yeah. not a good thing, right? Like you love the leg, you love the power. You saw it on the 68 yarder that had, you know, it rolled a little bit. And obviously there was extra yards tacked onto that. That's why it was quote unquote 68 yards. You love the leg power, but you gotta be able to place it, right? That's one of the most important things for a punter. The other thing I'll say for him, and I don't want to sound like I got nothing but negatives because I, I do think he's good. But the other thing was, of course, the drop snap, Picks it up, runs for a first down. That was awesome. It was funny to see. But again, dropping. I think Mike Vrabel's the kind of guy that's going to harp on the drop snap more than he's going to harp on. He picked it up and ran for a first down. Well, did you hear him after the game? They asked him, like, what'd you think no, of that improvisational play? And Vrabel just goes, well, I think he's got to catch the snap. Right. And that was all he said. I, I didn't even. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's you just know that's the first thing Mike Vrabel's going to say. That's probably the first thing Craig Ackerman. I mean, you saw Ackerman after the play talking to him on the sidelines, had a bit of a grin on his face, but you can tell he was telling him, hey, you got to catch the snap, right? So uh, I want to end on a good note for Ryan Stone. I don't want to feel like I've been, you know, talking about about negatives. He held for Randy Bullock yesterday on both field goal attempts. Again, this proves to you this is a legit competition. They're trying to see, hey, hint, hint, if we cut Brett Kern, are we going to miss anything also in the field goal game? The way they've gone through so many kickers, that's a problem, right? You want to, you don't want to neglect that part of it. He held for Randy Bullock on both kicks. Guess what? Bullock was two for two uh, with a long of 49. I think that's the big one, right? That he, Stonehouse was able to successfully hold on what was essentially a 50-yard field goal. If you remember, I talked about it last week. There was a practice where Stonehouse was the holder and Bullock went five of eight. He had his worst day at practice, right? So you're, you're starting to see the progression. Clearly, they're giving him another chance and – it's gotten better, right? It clearly it's gotten better. It got better on Saturday. So that's part of this thing. If they're going to decide to cut Kern, it's going to be these little things. Can he hold? Uh, but the things that he didn't do properly last night was holding the snap and then trying to be a, a positional punter, right? And win the field position battle instead of just booting it out of the end zone and letting them start at the 20. Right. So something to track. I mean, an interesting prospect there at the punter position, but again, he's got to like, nail every aspect of the job to to win the job because they are be comfortable it's fascinating it's one of the most fascinating yeah. battles i can't wait for preseason game number three because i mean this is their last chance to really decide all these battles and that game will be against the arizona cardinals on saturday um next week same time uh 6 p.m central standard time kickoff at Nissan Stadium again, the Cardinals will be in town for joint practices. I imagine it'll be the same schedule as last week with uh, probably Wednesday, Thursday joint practices, Friday off, and Saturday they will play their final preseason game on Tuesday. Right after this podcast comes out, the Titans are cutting down from 85 players to 80 players. Is there anything really quick before we sign off that, that you're looking most forward to about the joint practices? I will say for me, it's going up against a quarterback that is not terrible. And Kyler Murray, think what you want about him. He's still one of the top quarterbacks, I think, in the at least a top half quarterback in the league with the upside to be even better than that as long as he does his four hours of independent study per week. No, but I'm excited to see the defensive backs going up against a quarterback that, you know, is a good quarterback as opposed to a Blaine Gabbert type of quarterback. And I don't know how much – I don't know if DeAndre Hopkins – I mean, he's practicing, right? And he's suspended for six games of the season, but he's at training camp, isn't he? And uh, Hollywood Brown was – got arrested for speeding, but he's still been at training camp too. So it'll be interesting to see the defensive backs going up against a much better quarterback wide receiver tandem, really speedy guy in Rondale Moore that is going to put our guys on skates. And it's just going to be fascinating to watch this week of practice. No, I don't have any you know major takeaways. Uh, as you said, they'll cut down to the 80. 
um, this week on Tuesday. This Tuesday, again, the day this podcast releases. Uh, I don't expect anything shocking, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys. Uh, I don't think we'll see any notable releases, but obviously the following Tuesday when they cut from 80 to 53, that's going to be the big one. That'll be the one to watch. Uh, uh, hint, hint, you're probably going to want alerts on for my account that day. Uh, hint, hint. Um, the joint practices, look, it's another opportunity against the Cardinals. It's another opportunity to get better. Right. I, th- I think that's the best thing I can say about it. You said it going up against a great quarterback in Kyler Murray, an elusive one uh, that can throw at the speedy receivers, Marquise Hollywood, Brown, Rondale Moore, both of them. Uh, you know, Moore is more of a, a, a design touch guy, but that's going to be good to try to keep him under wraps, keep the yak under control. Whereas Marquise Brown will probably uh, test the corners deep, right? He'll probably run a lot of posts, a lot of go routes, things of that nature in these joint practices. And you'll want to see the Titans DBs keep up with him. Uh, excited for those joint practices. Again, it's just another chance to get better exactly so we'll keep an eye on that all week and if you want those alerts turned on you'll have to follow justin at justin m underscore nfl on twitter i am at titans film room that'll do it for this week we'll be back in another week to recap this titans cardinals game and look ahead to the final cut down day because then we have like a dead week where there used to be a fourth preseason game and now there's just nothing so it's labor day weekend and i'm actually going out of town that weekend so you and i are gonna have to talk about when we're taping our podcast that week anyway that's a little peek behind the curtain for all you guys but anyway we'll be back next week until then stay safe out there and tighten up a broadway sports media production